On this episode, a man I respect dearly comes here with his tremendous book. Scott Belsky's in the house. I think you're gonna love today's episode. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Cause we're gonna be Everybody, this is Gary Vay, Nerd Chuck, and this is the Ask Gary V Show, episode 290, 290. Uh, and where we've really gotten what the Ask Gary V Show at this point is special guests, uh, people that I'm interested in, uh, friends or curiosities, and this one will go into friends, uh, deep friends, actually one of my favorite buddies from the tech world over the last decade. Uh, a lot of you who follow me always love to bring up the uh, the jam sessions after Chris Saka exposed it in some sort of Vanity Fair article <laughs> or something. Cause, and it's been made out to be way more than it is. It's not as secret society as I think some people like to think. <laughs> it's super not glamorous. Scott and I and many of our our buddies at South by Southwest would cram into a hotel room and sit Sometimes on the floor. actually a bathroom for. Who, who was in that bath that year? Who is it, was actually sitting in the bath? Maybe oh, I think it was the co-founder of Product Hunt, Eric, yes. right? And, and uh, Ryan, yeah. Ferris wasn't in the bath? I don't know if Ferris was in the bath. or he You know what I remember about that one? On the, on the edge that of the shower. Dame and John came. Do you remember? And it, it was like, the Yeah, because he was like, what the f- is this? He was this? standing in the doorway, doorway actually. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. And, he, and we became friends later and he was like, what was that? I was like, yeah. dude, that was like, sure I was like, that's, sure what it is. dude, it's honestly, you know exactly what it is. It's funny. I was walking, watching a documentary of Steven Spielberg yep. and they showed that those directors in the 70s, him, George Lucas, Spielberg, uh, Martin Scorsese, they just had a crew. Mm-hmm. And there was like footage from it. And what were they doing? They were cooking in a house, sitting down and talking. Right. What was it? It's We sat there and we would say things like, Snapchat, go. Yeah. Bitcoin, go. Remember all those things? I remember and I also remember Gary's rules. So <laughs> Gary would enforce a you know a singular rule, which is one conversation at a time because you have a lot of people. People get carried away. Side conversations happen. You don't want to miss anything. So occasionally, Gary, yep. you would be like, whoa, 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 whoa. The rule, guys. One conversation. <laughs> it was good. It was great. It was and, great. And, uh, anyway, and everyone has something to add. So it's always interesting. And w- One quick thing because re- we're here to talk about your book, which I'm super excited about. And Vayner Nation, let me say this. Uh, You've been following me for a well, you might have started following me yesterday. If you've been following me for a long time, you know a couple of nuances about me. I, it's not that I don't, I respect everyone, but, um, but, you know, cause I don't think respect is earned, like I'm like, I give respect and you can lose it. You know, my dad was like, respect is earned, thus no one has it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are people that you cross paths with in your career that play in a different way and for a couple reasons. First, as a human, because I've gotten to know him friendly and family stuff, I'm just a very big fan of who you are as a person. But but subtly, more on like on the playing field, Scott has had one of the more remarkable angel, I, and he knows this, I'm a real cheerleader for him, because, and we brought him up already, Sokka went out and crushed it, I did solid, but you really destroyed it. Like, destroyed it, not to make you bashful, and I won't even go into it, because I want to go into the book, but but whether it's Pinterest or Uber, um, or, or, you know, Periscope, like, I have emails that are just legendary, legendary from Scott of like, hey, you should meet the Periscope founders, or the time where I was pretty early on my belief in Pinterest in the macro, and Scott was trying to help me get in, because he'd already been in, uh, and Uber, where a lot of, you know, I famously talk about how many times I passed on it when Travis and I were homie homies. Like, so, 
you've you were you had a remarkable run as an angel and also was a founder of a company that had a tremendous exit and he executed it over longevity and it wasn't a VC financial arbitrage thing and just I'm just unbelievable. I, I, I mean, know each one of these feels a lot of luck to me. Uh. <laughs> and by the way, I, I can understand yeah, that, I but, but, the, but, the, but they're not, right? Like you, yeah. you, like you, unlike me, went to a good school you didn't, and, you, and you could have gone down the path of the cliche thing. How old are you? 38 now. Right, that's the other thing. Look how good looking he is for 38. <laughs> like, there's a lot going well the for Scott Pelsky. The table's hiding the bulge, it's starting to grow. Um, Scott, but like yeah. you, you, you know, I know enough about you and I'm speeding up here a little bit. You went down a path that could have gone down a more conservative path. You could say lucky, I could say you saw what the internet was, yeah. you put yourself in it, Listen. which then created the serendipity of those relationships because you could have been on Wall Street, you could have been a doctor, you could have been, like, you could have been a consultant, you could have done a lot of other things that a lot of people have our age group did, sure. you didn't, thus, I don't know. I'm always wrestling with two things. One, which is everyone says, focus on one thing, do it well, say no to everything. And a lot of the people I respect are really good at saying no to things yes. and staying focused. Yes. And then I wrestle with that versus following every fascination. Yes. And a lot of the things you just mentioned were basically fascinations that in yes. some ways took me off of what I was supposed to be doing. Yes. You know, some might say, Scott, you were bootstrapping a startup. With are you doing spending time with like Ben Silberman at yes. Pinterest, helping yes. him think through a product and yes. raise, you know, at a $5 million valuation. Uh, I was, I, I try to genuinely pursue fascinations. Yes. And then I try to, um, for, for good or for bad, rationalize why I should be spending time on something that is slightly off my path. And I'm always trying to figure out how it will contribute, whether it works out or not to like learning something. Scott, I, I, uh, I will tell you that I've become so good at that rationalization game. <laughs> like I'm in the yes business. I'm yes. always doing all sorts of ridiculous shit. Actually, I saw a conference room with a big yes. Is that what it means? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I just think yes is powerful. Yeah, well, listen, like in, what you know what, in you, improv, never say no, always say yes and, and roll with it. And to me, the no players, yeah. our friends who are like, focus, focus, focus. They're like, look, look how successful I was. I focused. I'm like, cool. I said yes and was helter-skelter. I'm successful. Yeah. Like, I think a lot of this comes down to self-awareness. Yeah. You know, I think when you can accept yourself, you know, and for me, you said a very subtle thing in there that once you learn that you have to accept it as a net game, yep. that those, you know, for every Ben's meeting that led to amazing things with Pinterest, there was six others that led to nothing. Absolutely. Or and a waste of time, or an awkward situation, or things that you didn't want to deal with. You know, just, it, it's part of the game. It is part of the game, and uh, I mean, one of my favorite words is the word parlay, you know? Just like everything that you're doing, parlaying it or some aspect of it into something else, everything is building upon itself, but sometimes something that I do that totally fails, only five or six years later do I realize, oh, like there's actually something I learned from that that made me say yes to something else. Or no. That the difference, or no. Or I will tell you, uh, you yeah. know, it's funny you said that. I, the reason I jumped yeah. in there was like, you know, a lot of my mistakes helped me get better at the nose in a world where I want to say yes to everything. 100%. Yeah, so let's take a step back because I jumped because I love you <laughs> and I know you so well. For the people who are watching and listening, who are you? How do you think about your comic book number one? What is your origin story? Born where, to who, how? Give me like the three, four minutes. Who are you? Who am I? Oh, gosh, I mean, you know, I, started, I, was, I grew up in Newton, Massachusetts. My mother. Home of Mount Ida College, which no longer exists, by yes. the way. And, fun, fun fact, gone, went this. out of business. The college, first of all, it was a horrible college academically to begin with, now it's out of business, and today, this morning, walking out of my gym, 
Another personal trainer bringing somebody that lives in my home looks at me and goes, you look familiar. I go, no yeah, I'm Gary Vee. He goes, did you go to Mount Ida College? <laughs> this has only happened twice, twice, only twice in the last 20 years of my life. The other time, quick fun fact, Toll booth in New Jersey. I'm pre Easy Pass. I'm old. Giving my quarters. The guy goes, Gary. I'm like, Quincy. It was amazing. Anyway, nonetheless, yes, Newton, Mass. So very nice town. Newton always makes me think of Short Hills, where Wine Library is. So nice little town. Keep By the going. way, one of my earliest memories is maybe six, seven, eight years old. I learned that there was like colleges where you could have two-year programs and yes. four-year programs. Yes. Mount Ida. Yes. And then there were like universities where you yes. had graduate degrees. Yes. I remember learning that and being like. I would never want to go to university. That's like way too much school. Like I want to do the two-year thing. I would do the, so that was actually my earliest it. memory is it, it related to Mount Ida. But anyways, so I um I grew up there and uh, um, father, uh, uh, orthopedic surgeon. Yep. Um, and I would say like my work ethic, he every night, he would be doing dictations at night where he would like be, you know, uh, recounting the surgery and whatever and the mm. lessons learned. And in the morning, I remember him always like coming in my room in the morning and be like, come on, Scott, you got to get up. You got to get going. You got to get to school. You got to. And so the high the, energy, high energy and like, and always about just kind of like doing your thing. Like, let's sit down and do it together. Like I just, I, I think it's the nice. work ethic, um, I know you feel similarly and I just mentioned it because he's someone who, uh, um, and as a doctor, like he just bedside manner, like the way he is with people and patients and whenever I go home and you know, walk around with him. He meets people who took, he took care of the mother or the sister and he, they always remember him and just something about that always sticks with me. But anyways, I grew up there. Um, always was, uh, had an entrepreneurial instinct to me. Um, I'm convinced that I invented easy pass because I had a, (laughs) I I had a, uh, I always made stores in the home and then I actually made a toll booth for the stairwell. So like, and I was like, I'll keep the stairwell clean. I'll vacuum it. And people will just give me a toll when they go up and down. And then I realized that was a lot of work. So I gave people passes. They could just go without having to pay. And that was way before easy pass. Um, I love that. uh, Anyways, it it was, it was, uh, my, my whole family was very patronizing of my, uh, my early, uh, entrepreneurial ventures, but, um, in high school started a little kind of uh, apparel company um, called Live Big. My friend's initials were B-I-G. So we like made Live Big and then it became nothing, but we owned livebig.com. And then sophomore year of college, I get an email when from- did, When did you own livebig.com? Back in like 1996. Very good. Keep yeah. going. And then in college- When I uh, registered winelibrary.com. Right around. Really cool. 1990. You know what's really interesting what? about this? This is kind of super weird. You, you were in high school, you said? Yep. In Newton? Yeah. That probably means that you and I both registered. Right around the same time. In 1996, livebig.com and winelibrary.com in Newton, Mass. Wild. I like that. That makes me happy. The Keep domain going. registry was like, what's all this activity I'm from Newton? About, I'm trying to think about which, <laughs> what was it? Was there network solutions? Network that, solutions that's was the way why, yep. That's how you did it too? Yeah. The recall. 100%. Now, had I gone back there, I would have. There was no GoDaddy. This guy's. Pre GoDaddy. No, it was a it was a pain in the to pre GoDaddy. Yeah, there was. Yeah. Did you have to fax something? There was probably a fax with a signature involved uh-huh. and everything, and it took a while to process. Yeah, you youngsters have no idea. This is our version of we walked in the snow. We had a fax to get our websites, kids. Right. Keep going. Anyways, <laughs> um, this became nothing. However, sophomore year college, you I get, get this random email from a um, RV company. You know those big things that you live in, right? Yes. And dude. then they're like, Hey, what do you think? I'm like some trillionaire in a ivory tower I don't know connections go ahead big live live in something big they were like we want to buy live big and I was like well 
it's not just a domain it's a name. 10 billion it's a company yeah. <laughs> um, and so i think i negotiated a seven thousand dollar acquisition you of my pumped. first company you were uh, which is pretty psyched because i was like sophomore year of college i just you know my company got acquired um, and my friend, you know, from Ben, Ben was at Princeton and it was just a, a, one of those moments where we were like, all right, not a bad were end to the chapter. Were you literally walking around campus like, yo, baby, my yeah. company just was acquired. Kind of a big day. Yeah. Kind of a big, big deal. <laughs> okay. Uh, but it was, it was a first foray. Hey, yep. even if it was a very small and micro journey, it was a journey nonetheless. It gave you a high? Of what? what like, you did you get a high on like, oh, holy I, I, I definitely got some sort of high. I yeah. think that it was, uh, I mean, it wasn't going anywhere, but yeah. it was a... It was a it was a taste of coming up with something. Did that make doing you something. want to get into domain naming for a second? I always that would have that would have tricked me. I, I would have been like, Dude, yeah, you know. Whenever I had an idea, I'm sure yeah. you're the same. Me it's too. Like, me but I wasn't like buying domains like a real estate portfolio. Yeah. I'll never forget that Business 2.0 magazine mm -hmm. that had the cover and it said Fish.com 130 million. I don't remember yeah. exactly. We could have a whole episode about the crazy nature of the domain industry and who the holders are of all these domains and the way that they act. I mean, they're, they're the, as you know, there are these yeah. brokers that go around with like cases of cash trying to buy these things for people. It's, it's wild. <laughs> but um, it's actually amazing that it's still around. But um, Real estate. It is real estate. Um, fast forward, uh, graduated college, always had an interest in design and business. In college, I studied both design and business, had to choose one. Ended up choosing Wall Street for a few years. You know, had a one and a half years on a traditional finance job, hated it. And went to my manager and was like, I'm going to leave. Um, uh, and she was like, well, if there's one thing you could do in this firm, like, what would it be? I was like, I'm really interested in understanding like how leaders make decisions and how a firm is managed and how problems are solved. And so I got this crazy job at Goldman Sachs in the executive office focusing on almost like internal management consulting when co-heads don't get along, when clients are going through struggles, but they don't want to tell anyone else, but they'll like confide in the firm and have their help. And that experience actually was a great education for me. Interesting. Yeah. How long um, did you do that? So that was three years. Wow. Yeah. It was a great experience. And, um, and it's still like actually pull from it, which I think is rare. Usually out of college, you have jobs where you don't yeah. actually refer to anything, but fast forward, um, uh, I left and started Behance. The idea of Behance organized the creative world. I used to tell people that and they were like, yeah, yeah, good luck with that. But um, it, it, Behance, long story short, became a network of over 15 million creatives showcasing their work, getting attribution for the work that they did. Agencies typically take all the credit. Usually it's the creatives at the end of the day that actually did a lot of this stuff and now they get opportunity. Um, we were acquired by Adobe in 2012. How long did you run that company? So this was, uh, it was five years of bootstrapping, which we could talk about forever. Um, that was rough. Um, two years as a venture-backed company. Who'd you take money from? I don't recall. So Union Square Ventures, uh, Jeff Bezos, Chris Dixon, a bunch of other angels um, back in the day. Uh, that was probably one of the other emails that got lost in your inbox. Yeah, that was before, you know. I don't know about that. What year did you I'm fund? just kidding. I'm just kidding. What year did you uh, fund? 2007. Yeah, I don't think you emailed me yet. I wasn't 2008. Cool yeah, around there. You're, Actually, yeah, the wanted, funding was 2007. Unless you want to trade but, wine for, uh, <laughs> for equity. Uh, that probably would have not helped us. <laughs> anyways, so... Um, so yeah, I think that it was, that was an incredible journey. And, um, you know, and one of the inspirations for the messy middle was me actually thinking back to that five year period of bootstrapping and two years as venture back company during 2008, so all the, the, all the difficult years. So the company started in 2002? So no, sorry. So the, okay. the company started in 2005. Five. 2006, right Got around it. there. And then we, we, we actually raised the real round in 2000 and uh, late 2010, 2011. You got a little angel money in seven? From yes, from yeah. friends and family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. And um, but like barely any. Yeah. Um, and then. Uh, and you sold to Adobe when? In 2012, late end of 2012. Yep. Yeah. 
So it was a, uh, it was quite a journey. And, you know, I actually didn't, when I was sitting down to think about um, this book, which is really the aggregation of like five to seven years of little insights around people's middles, friends of mine, entrepreneurs, artists, writers who endured and optimized through a very volatile middle journey. Um, I was like, well, I got to start with my own. And I realized I didn't remember it. And actually what I did is I went back in my phone through all the screenshots from like the years 2006 to 2012, just as like, that's the, probably the source of truth for where I was, what I was thinking and what I was doing. And I saw all the like, you know, screenshots of people um, giving us a hard time online or people liking what we were doing online or errors or issues and team moments and tough moments and celebrations and all that stuff. And actually that was the first moment where I got the granularity of some of the stuff, frankly, that I had wanted to forget. You know, 100,000%. Yeah. No, I think it's a really interesting thesis. I think that in general, if you even think about like a movie, people can think about like the beginnings of movies and how it ended. Like the middle is a, a very fascinating part of everything when you look at it in its entirety. A lot of times you don't know you're in the middle. I, it's funny, you're talking, I'm like, ugh, I'm in the middle of the whole VaynerX thing right now. Yeah. Right? Like this is the muckery. Like, I, like the, you know, like the me and AJ part, you yep. know, and you knew AJ when sure, he was coming course. out the gate. Like, yeah, yeah. like that was fun. And da da da. And like, boy, do I think it's going to be a monster. And so there'll be that part, but I'm squarely in the middle right now. I think that, well, first of all, hopefully we're always in the middle to some extent, right? Because yeah, otherwise, what, the, what are we? <laughs> are we doing? Yeah. But, um, but I think it's also fascinating that, yes, there's all this volatility, there's surfing, endless ambiguity, working in anonymity, no one, no one cares what you're doing, which actually is sometimes a good thing as well as a bad thing. It well, means I you can act, do whatever you I want. I would actually argue, this is a really interesting thought, I know that, you, you know, since we've been in so many jams together, I know this, we're gonna go on a tangent here. I actually think that that's exactly right and as a strength, and I actually think that a lot of kids right now, and, and not just kids, are actually doing too much content creation and self-promotion, mm -hmm. which is a vulnerability when you're in that middle. Meaning, I posted the other day, like under being underestimated is the great gift. Yeah. And everybody spends all their time trying to prove, especially, you know, think about the, I'm looking at the youngsters, like you're 22, 23, now everything is like trying to prove to your parents and your contemporaries that you're good, and you start doing a ton of shit. To me, that's such an interesting point. When you're in the messy middle, yep. I, I think being head down, not being out there, and not hearing other voices, because that is your most vulnerable time, 100%. is a strength, yet so many people are trying to put their lives out there yeah. that they're getting a lot of signals. And I think it's not a, you know, I think in the beginning and the end, there's a little bit more, uh, it's a very interesting point. I mean, I think, you know, I talk about, uh, you know, the, um, the we're all governed by the short-term reward system Ugh. and uh, from 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 birth right it's like we're constantly getting our, our parents gratification and then the check on the test and the grade in the course and then you know Fred Wilson at one of our Fred Wilson venture capitals in New York at one of our early conferences said you know, the two greatest addictions in life are heroin and a weekly salary and like talking about like unplugging yourself from that and uh, and, and what the implications are of that um, and I think that a lot of enduring the middle journey is about like hacking your reward system but to your point you don't want to you don't wanna have like fake wins that are motivating you. You don't wanna put out content and feel like that means I'm winning. Actually, you wanna build something that's lasting and real. And actually, I feel like the best companies launch without press. They actually get something out there and validate it and get something that's working so well. And I feel like press is relative to when it's announced, not when it happens. Scott, do you know I hate that I'm at a point in my career that anything I start now comes with expectation? Mm -hmm. Like, like, it, one of the weird, you know, this is so full circle because we were talking before we started. Well, it stops you from experimenting. Well, it's weird. I feel like this whole sports card thing yeah. is kind of like, like I'm sitting here, I'm like, oh, 
I'm probably doing the sports card thing because yes, it's out there, but nobody's gonna take it seriously. <laughs> Thus, I like it. Like I literally have like this interesting, like one of the reasons I think that I've been able to navigate is I hate short-term success. Yep. I was pumped with bad grades. Yeah, yeah. I loved being underestimated. <laughs> I loved being the wine guy in the tech world. Yep. I loved being the wine guy in the ad world. Like I, like I literally am starting to like think like, like it's why I'm loving my global expansion. Yep. I love that nobody knows who I am in Singapore at first or <laughs> India or you know like. It's also why I love, love how you do the yard sale stuff because it's sort of like, hey, everyone's talking about big deals. I'm just trying to flip this thing from five bucks to seven bucks. You know. Did you say that? Did you see that this weekend? <laughs> I like, did. Like the high, first of all, the high of finding a stuffed animal for yeah. thirty cents that sells for twenty seven bucks. And the other thing is, look, I'm a little bit like connect with your dad. Like I wanna walk down the street with my son one day and somebody come up to me and be like, hey, and look at my son and be like, hey, your dad changed the course of my life. Yeah. That's that's a big ROI. And so the whole yard sale thing, yep. 98% of the people watching my content would die out of happiness to make $1,000 extra a week. Right. And I know exactly how they can do it. Yeah in a way that's so scary, like retail arbitrage right now, now let's jump to tech. Yeah, yeah, sure. Dude, you can't imagine the ARB. If you just sat at a desk with Mm -hmm. a computer and bought on eBay, Etsy, Amazon, just traded Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace, if you just bought and sold, bought and sold, bought and sold, including buying buying inventory on eBay and shipping it to Amazon, you can make so much money, it's scary. Yeah, I mean, I remember actually an interesting debate we had at a jam session a few years ago, which was, is it easier or harder to make a dollar in the modern day? Mm. And um, I'm not sure it was Mark Cuban or someone else there. It was like, it's harder. I actually feel like it's certainly, certainly easier. Um, I'm not saying that it's easier to make a lot. Maybe there's a a sort of a a larger commoditization of labor going on, and that's obviously an issue. But I, I really do think that there are so many avenues for people just to... Connect the dots, Brother, and it's accessible to so many people in different ways. The long tail of the internet is yes. grossly underestimated. Yep, it's grossly underestimated. The long tail. Yeah, I just I don't know what else to say. I also think that people. I, I think that it's not just about where things are distributed or purchasable. It's also about like the curation that happens in between and how it's presented and how it's merchandised. So you can find something that's merchandised in a shitty way, and you can actually turn it around and present it properly. Containers and merchandising. Even if it's a better freaking photo. Containers and merchandising. I mean, I don't even want to get into this, dude. It freaks me. I'm so into this. Yeah. Containers and merchandising. Yep. I'll get into that later. Yeah. Messy middle. Yes. Who who's listening in a matrix of like, who's the out, who's the, Ultimate person yeah. that one hundred percent should buy this. Who's the next? I like to think of books in three tiers of like a triangle. Yeah. Like the top of the triangle is like, you. This will change your game. Like yeah, this yeah. is made for you. Then there's the big middle of that of like this is probably probably for you. And then like the curious kind of nuance. Sure. But so break that down for me. One, two, and three. Who is like listening and watching right now? Absolutely yeah. needs this. I think that the more. Oh. This is an ask show, isn't it? <laughs> so oh, we'll get to it. Yeah, we're gonna need All to right. get that in a minute, but they, answer that real quick. It's a good question. I think that the, um, well, the more volatile, the more this book is for you. Um, okay. I really do believe that there are um, every, I mean, essentially everything that everyone's doing is either a venture or a replay. A venture, venture in the sense that it's going into unknown territory, whether you're in a big company doing a product turnaround and doing something that's off the radar and you're fighting the immune system of the big company, or if you're just an entrepreneur starting something up and hustling, you know, if you are venturing, this is for you. If you're doing the replay, playing someone else's playbook, probably not as relevant. 
Um, I also would say that uh, in the volatility side of things, the point of this book, right, is that we are not our best self at the lowest of the lows, nor the highest of the highs. Yes. At the lowest of the lows, we're making decisions out of fear. We're losing hope. We're trying to manage uncertainty and ambiguity. Yes. You know, we're realizing we have to short circuit our reward system. There's a ton in here about like enduring the lows, mining them for the gems, you know, and building the muscle memory to 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 endure future lows and making yes. every low incrementally higher, right? Yes. And then on the highs, um, the thing about the peaks is that then we start to actually falsely attribute Never the things that we did right to 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 us peaking. And so a lot of this also is about looking at anything that works and then working like hell to optimize it. And it's ironic that in the messy middle, when things work, we typically don't do anything with it because we've got enough to deal with, right? But when actually something is working, whether it's how you're managing your team, how you're hiring, how you're managing yourself, or something that's in your product that actually is getting a little traction, on the contrary, we should be iterating around that, right? And so this is a lot about optimizing the things that work across team, product, and self, like how you're kind of managing your own. And then there's a final section at the end called the final mile. And this is a, a collection of insights around why so many people screw things up in the final mile of a project. There is the churn around, we're about to launch, we don't want to mess this up. There's the self-sabotage that happens after you're about to launch something to the world. The questions of, do I even deserve this? And the subconsciously, what that does to you and your team. I share some stories in there about that. Um, Give me an as, example, we'll stick on this. Yeah, I mean, on the self-sabotage front, um, I talk about an example of somebody on my team who really in the final mile of Behance, when we were already in talks for acquisition and everything else, just started to do a lot of kind of inappropriate stuff, <laughs> right? And, you know, at first I was like, come on, man, you know, like, that's not good. Uh, you probably shouldn't say that to people. You probably shouldn't be doing that, you know, with these team members on the weekend and whatever else. And, and um, but it just kind of escalated. And, uh, and I, I really started to get very worried about it and people were coming to me about it. And I was really getting curious. And I remember going home one night to uh, my wife, Erica, who you know, yep. who's a psychologist and kind of talking about it. And she was just like, oh, like, this is easy. Like, he, he doesn't feel like he deserves it. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, he, we're all about to succeed. This is going to be a great outcome for him. He's like, no, he just, he's not comfortable with it. And at first I was like, oh, I don't know. I mean, and then I, so then the next day, end of the day. By the way, real quick, just yeah. for everybody, this is my favorite part about life, uh, you know. <laughs> She's a psychologist. You're like doing this thing. You come home. She gives you the answer. You're like, nah. Right. Like I like I have buddies. Like literally, this has happened to me. So I apologize for jumping in because clearly I'm doing a better job than normal listening. It speaks to why <laughs> I love Scott. But literally, like the last week, I've had so many people literally on the street grab me and be like, Gary, you say this. My homie Jerome says this. I'm like, well, what's Jerome up to? Well, he. I'm like, well, don't you think it's a good idea to think about who's giving the advice? Not all advice is equal. I just love that you come home, you respect your wife tremendously, I know that for a fact. She's a psychologist. She tells you, oh, this is easy. She, listen to how he said it. Oh, this is easy. He's not okay with it. You're like, nah. It, 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 it doesn't make intuitive sense, right? <laughs> um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that the point is that the final mile, it's a different playbook altogether. Sure. Like the so things what happened? That got were you, you there. able to? So I pulled him aside. Yeah. I pulled him aside. I sit down with him in the corner of a conference room where no one could see. Yeah. You know, and I, and I, and I sit down. And did you go down the right of the path of like, you deserve this too, bro? So actually that's exactly what I did. Yeah. You know, and? I said to him like, this is a problem. Like, but here, here's the thing, like forgetting all that, I want to tell you something. I looked at him in the eye and I was like, you deserve this, man. I love like, it. We've worked together for years. And? You deserve this. At first he was like, what are you talking about? And I actually repeated myself two more times and he started to cry. That's amazing. And, um, and listen, like, I don't know what exactly happened in that moment, Yeah. but I know that we embraced at the end of it yeah. and I know that things changed. That's amazing. And I think he just needed, to, 
he needed to have someone kind of Validate. tell him, yeah, Validation. that this is like it, something about it triggered, triggered, and it just taught me something about the fact that um, when people go through big transitions, especially when your identity is so tied up in something that you're building, and then something changes towards the final mile, it is really different. You need different advisors. You need different. You do need a different playbook, and that's what it's about. I love that. Do you feel that? Um, has anybody who's had an early? I know this is just coming out. Is this? Is it out, or is it coming out next Tuesday? The messy middle. Pre-orders just started. It's it's coming out in twenty days, so it's, it. it's hitting October. 2nd. But you're being smart and trying to drive sales now. I am trying to learning that from the best. <laughs> so listen, I mean this. There are very few people that I would co-sign this heavy. Uh, where I'm going very interesting with this is I have a funny feeling, and listen, the problem with Scott is he's smart. So I'm worried that the book might be too smart for me. But I actually think there's a lot of nuances here about parenting. Hmm. So you're talking. I'm like this is parenting. This is parenting, this is parenting, I'm curious to see, I'm I'm curious to think the people out there that are both passionate about their careers and businesses but also about being parents, I have a funny intuitive feeling and I'm dying to see in four months when I stumble back to this or the comments or somebody tweets me and says that was a right, I'm so intuitively curious. It's so funny you say this because two things, one is someone uh, the other day who read it, uh, an early galley said to me, you could re- you could substitute every like business word in there for relationship, and it would be true. And then yesterday, I kid you not, I'm talking to somebody who's starting a, a wild company in the fishing industry, which I'm happy to tell you about offline. Can't but wait. what he what he, said, what he I've said what he said my lessons. Gary is Where in. can I? That's all it takes. What he said to me is like, I have to tell you, the messy middle perfectly applies to fishing expeditions. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, my father's a commercial fisherman and he always says that like, you know, there's very great volatility from the start to the end of an, you know, a fishing expedition in the last two weeks, deep sea fishing. He's like, the messy middle perfectly applies. I'm like, really? I did not anticipate that. Yeah, and that. because of the Jets tremendous <laughs> win on Monday, when you first sat there, I'm like, okay, this is the second and third quarter. This is perfect for football. Yeah, listen, I think that Seth, with, let's with get parenting. Let's question. I'm, I feel anyway, like I've I totally derailed this show. Let's do it. What do you got? Well, first question's from uh, First in Line Group. Okay. From Michael. Michael. What are some tips for keeping your creative team organized and productive without being a micromanager? I work to provide video content for clients and between editors, social media managers, and clients, it can be a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, I think that, um, I think that creative teams don't necessarily like to subscribe all to the same system, right? And I think that's one of the reasons why so many of these companies that have built like productivity and project management tools, it's never been a winner take all market because most people talk about switching costs, like investors like Gary and I will look and say, oh, is there a high switching cost to this product and will it retain its people? The funny thing about the creative world is there's actually switching benefits. When a creative team kind of stops using a tool, it's almost like spring cleaning everyone will start to engage and love the new product, which is why you go from like Trello to Clubhouse to Jira to all these different kind of methods and systems. So actually, I think that for a creative team, you have to start paying attention to the um, the elegance of the system. I mean, you have to think about it. Creatives are, we want different colored folders. We want to have something that we're visually attracted to. Attraction breeds loyalty over time. And so if you're a program or project manager of a creative team and you're trying to manage them with a, with a spreadsheet, that will not work. You gotta be a little more creative with it. The only thing I'll jump in here on is I believe the advancement of technology, a lot of people talk about in the advertising world, uh, personalization, right? I see Jets ads, you see ads for beard oil. Like it gets that good that we get there. I think that's great and exciting and fine. I'm so much more into that in management. Like I genuinely think when I, what the misses in a million ways is we, we, we make 
such general statements about things. The only way to manage a team perfectly is to manage them on an individual level, mm-hmm. on an everyday basis, mm-hmm. and having a pulse of their ambitions, wants, desires, and needs in an every second basis. I'm not kidding. That is how you actually win it. Now, how you actually do that? And how you scale it? Yeah, right? I, I correct. Agree. But I think you scale it with people. Yep. Like you know, give me like like just speak more often, watch more often. The way I scale it, I follow my people on social. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. I look at review cycles here. And I see people reviewing each other, I know that they're hiking with each other on the weekend, mm-hmm. which means that review is better than it's supposed to be mm. because those are homies. Mm-hmm. It's context. Of course, yep. context is the gateway to all of this. Yeah. And so, you know, to my two cents on this is like, look, when I hear people say, Gary, how do I manage my team of 30? I'm like, go to breakfast, lunch, and dinner, make it a family, no Yep. Because things change. Seth today may want more money, but when he starts a family, may want more time. Yes. Right? Yep. Somebody might want more recognition today because they're insecure or they want to leverage it for another job. Later, they want more privacy and don't want it. I agree. It's on a person by person basis. And that's the problem. I mean, managers feel like they have to start scaling every way that they manage as they grow. And in fact, to your point, it's really about it. And then it becomes, and then tools become band aids. Yes. Right? Agreed. It's it's, absolutely agreed. Next one also from Carson Line from Waleed. Waleed. There seems to be a large gap between various industries in terms of digital marketing strategy. Some industries still view digital marketing in a very primitive way, while others are taking full advantage in implementing solutions from recruitment to brand affinity and business decisions making. Business decision making, got it. How can we bridge these gaps and further the knowledge of these industries? I mean, you're the expert. I have thoughts, but go ahead. Why don't you go with your thoughts? No, I mean, I think that, uh, I think that, well, my day job now, which we didn't really talk about. Yes, but that's I, right. I came, what are you up to now? I came back um, and uh, and jumped in as a new chief product officer. You did VC for a little, little bit. What's that? You did VC for a little I bit. Did, yeah, yeah. So Behance, acquired by Adobe, yep. three years, had the best time building products for creative people. Yep. Everyone kept saying, because of the seed investing, you've <laughs> got to be an investor, you've got to be an investor, and I actually yeah. made a mistake, which is I started to believe everyone around me that and telling and me listen, what I should I be doing. La- I was a very loud voice in this. I mean, it was, it's just to, to, to Gary's credit, actually, Gary, you know, uh, uh, knew, uh, knew better than me at this point. I, I, I felt, part of me felt like I had to try it. If everyone's telling me I should be an venture investor, I should just do it full time. Jumped in full time, three weeks in. I'm like, I'm not building products anymore. I'm not working with teams anymore. I'm working on isolation. I'm trying to win the deal. I'm playing this transactional game. I don't know if this is me. I don't know if I want to spend the next 15 years of my life doing it. Yet I was at the one of the best venture capital firms in the world, learning, enjoying every single day of absorbing from the folks around the table at Benchmark. And then I had this kind of question about, but can I do this for 15 years and be the best at this? Or should I go back to building? Look, I'm just going to jump in and just get to the chase. My level of respect for Scott was already pretty obnoxiously high in the scheme of things because of the serendipity of actually spending some time because I'm sure there's plenty of other people I'd love to respect. I just don't spend time with people in the scheme of things uh, and then who we ended up being. The fact, I couldn't over-communicate enough to the people watching and listening the level of the plum, plum, plum job <laughs> in the game of venture capital that Scott got. To, that I, So I'm so weird that I don't know things very well. Like You guys kind of know me. He gets it. Fine, I hear about it. But other people that I massively respect and think are super smart and great were like, wow. And I was like, oh, it must be really, really big to have the ability to land that 
and then to have the self-awareness and be willing to deal with the scarlet letter that the micro community would look and put on you when you left it. Yeah. Like, just want you to, <laughs> dude, for you, I can't, this is a very big deal, Scott. Uh, for you to get it and then leave it fairly early, very quickly, in the scheme of things. Yep. Which, in a lot of ways, could have been viewed as disrespectful in a lot of different ways especially in the micro community of venture capital, right? To have the internal strength to know, oh darn it, this is not who I am, and be able to make that kind of move yeah. is a much bigger deal than I think people well, listen, would I think give you credit for. It was, you know, it was a, uh, you could have a whole episode on this, but it, it's, it's hard to distract yourself from something you committed to. I mean, I knew it wasn't right for me. My Period. partners knew it wasn't right for me. Absolutely. And, um, and also I want to do it. I want to do it in good terms. You know, I'm still a venture partner with yep. the firm now yep. and it was important to me because I have so much respect for the firm and yep. the team. Um, but I also knew that it wasn't going to for 15 years. Yeah. I felt like I'd hung and up my, so my, real quick, my, my shoes. Wants to make you know? a call. You, so what did you do? You got so, out. And- so I jumped out. I was like, okay, what do I want to do? What am I most happy doing? Honestly, it's building products for creative people. It's what I've always <laughs> been doing. Even though I had sold the company, why do I have to stop doing that? So and did also you think about that, starting a new company? So what did you think about? I thought about a lot of these things. You and know? so what and, ended up happening? And I realized that my perfect happy place was building products for creative people, working with people that I love, and investing as something I do as the sort of the side, side hustle, hustle, if you will. And so I said, well, what's wrong with just going back and doing that? And at the time, Sean Zanu, the CEO of Adobe, had come to me and was like, I'm thinking about this chief product officer role. Um, it, would you consider coming back? At first, I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I would ever come back to a place I already left and extracted myself from and whatever else and then I realized if I feel like there's a strategy that gets me excited and I have the team and like the founder DNA that I still have within the company because of Behance's acquisition and so I said why not let's jump in and so now we're kind of thinking about the future of the creative world as well as thinking about this question around digital marketing and creative tools and how right. creatives can come together question. bring it back to the question I don't know where the energy was for his question my answer is you don't so first of all, there's industries, but there's no, this is back to managing people. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool, like apparel companies have figured it out. Not all apparel companies. Like uh, cement companies have not figured it out. Well, there's some guy in Minnesota who's killing it selling cement on Facebook. I think the answer is you don't. This is what I love about the game. I, as a, a, you know, a Pied Piper, actually don't give a if anybody does anything about it. As a matter of fact, I weirdly prefer they don't Mm. because I so enjoy the merit of doing right things and wrong things. I will tell you all the best things at my best of ability, but if you don't act on them, I can't wait to see you in four years and be like, I told you. And look, you know this, back to these jam sessions, there was no bigger advocate for social, for social, for social in those meetings in nine and 10. And all of this was far less obvious than it, than it today, you know, back then than it is today, I think people always us underestimated the communication tools and I think they continue to. 100%. At this point, everybody's so ready for AI and AR and blockchain and so many other things. <laughs> Four or five social networks are literally dictating the behavior of 7.7 billion people. Yeah. No, that's communication, true. communication. Yep. Anyway, let's get this call in. Yeah. Oh wow, Colin. From Massachusetts? Oh. Swardik. My home state. I know. We didn't get into the Patriots thing. <laughs> You're not that big of a Pats fan, right? Huge. No, that's Hello? a... Swardik? Oh, my God. Yes, this is, this is him. Yes. <laughs> it's Gary and Scott. How are you? I am 
Fantastic. Thank you so much for calling me. I, I love uh, your show, what you do. Um, Scott, I think what you, I mean, you are amazing. Tiger Pride. I don't know if you went to Newton North or Newton South, but I went to Newton North. I also grew up in Newton. Did you go to private awesome. school? I would have gone to South, but I went to BB&A. I, I, I was so pumped as soon as that question was asked. I'm like, this guy went to private school. I can bet the house on it. Brother, what's your question? So um, I am uh, I'm a male nurse, and I want to be the nurse guy just like you were the wine guy. Interesting. But I think it's very different, and I think Scott, um, like how he rose to where he is today, is he went to school, he learned it the school way, and you just did it like you lived it, right? You just lived it. I want to know, would you suggest I go to school hardcore become the genius of nursing and then put out content or do my thing that way or do i just i'm a nurse now but i'm just like basic like just got into the field nursing i just do nursing and then like you know should i, I, go I know to exactly and become i think we both yeah. understand your question I'll let Scott go first. I mean, I think the, the greatest experience, the greatest insights come from experience, not from school. Uh, and I, I, I mean, personally, I most, I most enjoy following and learning from people that are having, you know, intuition-driven experiences on the job, in the experience, through the hardships of the day to day, and just how they curate and present and analyze their own experiences, as opposed to someone who proclaims to be an expert because of some degree. So, I mean, I'm sure that school within the profession of nursing is extremely important. But if your question is around when do I start sharing, when do I start contributing content, you know, and be and becoming part of the conversation, I mean, I'm sure Gary would say start now. Well, there's a couple things. Couple things I want to give. Scott, another compliment. It was funny when he was talking. When we would get in discussions in these jam sessions about, you know, CTO structure, uh, you know, databases, da da da, I would, you know, add my two cents. I can tell you that anytime we talked about Twitter or Facebook or things of that nature, I could feel Scott listening to me with more respect than when we didn't. And that I always took note of that. And when he just gave that answer, I'm like, that's what was happening. So that, I think that's interesting. Back to like, listen to who's who's giving the advice, who's actually living it. Because a lot of pon- mm. people pontificated about social, and they were super smart people and VCs, but they weren't in it like I was in it. Number two, I think that here's how I think about it. The I got to I didn't have to go to school for it because buying and selling stuff or running a liquor store, things of that nature, that didn't necessarily come to school. I think. Sure, you can start contributing to the conversation today. I think, my friend, the mistake that people make is they overstep their boundaries of knowledge. If you now document your truth, which is I'm a youngster in the field, I intuitively feel that I have good bedside manners, but on the actual like tactitional part of my job, I'm still in the beginning of my journey that's a very important, I wish I would have had the opportunity, I actually don't know what I would have done if this all existed when I got into Wine Library. Would I have fronted or would I have been a little bit, like I, my intuition is I would have gone a little Muhammad Ali with it, which is like, I'm 22, I'm in a liquor store and I kind of go with the content of like, you'll see. Yeah, yeah. I'll see you in 2015, Yeah, yeah. right? But here's where I'm at yeah. now, I'm packing boxes at midnight because we are getting more internet orders than I expected. That's I, cool actually. Well, I mean, no, to no, live, to no, live no. that with you? That's the coolest. Right. And that's kind of where I'm going with this. I think you should contribute for a couple of weird reasons. Number one, in 60 years, your grandkids are gonna be really happy you did. Hmm. 
So one of the things that I don't think people understand about making content is everyone's thinking mm. short-term selfish, yeah, yeah. instant returns of how many likes or will this get me something? And I'm saying the happiness that it's gonna get you that you saw yourself when you still had hair or black hair or <laughs> young or when you see, your, when your grandkid comes up to you and goes, grandma, granddad, when you were 22, you were doing this and I do that too. So much in the human race has been lost in history outside of very famous people. Yep. Now we all have that. One of the great reasons I'm documenting everything is that's how I'm actually gonna live forever. So I would document just for life. Yeah. Where you could get caught and where I see kids getting caught all day is they're, mm. act, they're fronting, they're making pretend, they're posturing, yes. they're faking it till you make it. The problem with faking it till you make it in today's world well, is you're exposed. Yeah. All right, sure. So that's what I would say. Yeah, I mean, so, so, yeah. I, I, I just want to, so that's, that's, I mean, that's deep. The grand, I mean, 60 years from now is deep. Um, I, I do want to say I am constantly putting content out there. Um, cue the nurse is my thing. Um, uh, so I did call you about a year ago and I was at like 500 um, people on Instagram. I was at zero people on uh, YouTube. I'm, 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 I'm way better. I mean, the growth is slow. I'm at like 3,000 on YouTube. I'm at three, four, three and a half thousand on Instagram. And I just want to thank you for that. Um, Can I jump in like, for a second? Yes. And this is for everybody, everybody. We have to, in our community, stop starting with vanity metrics like followers because it's a terrible framework to play within that almost always will eliminate the upside that you actually possess. I know it's a data point and I'm not saying you're caught up in it. I'm using mm. it, I'm using this moment to actually help all of us. It's very important, let me tell you why. It's far less about having 3,000 or 500 or 4.1 million followers. It's more about a single piece of content, even when you have nine followers or nine million followers, gives you the opportunity to impact or create or selfishly creates the step for what you're trying to accomplish. Tomorrow, you may make a piece of content that serendipitously leads to the head of a hospital in Austin, Texas to see it, which miraculously in this moment in time off the base of another meeting leads to them reaching out to you and changes your medical career. That is a very big deal. I gave a speech at the Javits Center in 2011 when nobody really knew who I was. I mean, a little something going on in Twitter, but that single piece of content still has had bigger impact even though I have a much bigger audience today. You know, I wanna make sure that people realize it's not the size of the audience, it's the at-bats in the content that can lead to things like impacting others or, or amazing things for yourself. And it's just a framework. We have to, you know, because everybody's pandering to the numbers. People are not posting because they don't get enough likes and they overthink things. People are wrapping their self-esteem into how many followers they have it, or, or are checking their progression. Like, what does 3,000 from 500 mean? That means I'm going in the right direction. What happens the next time I talk to you in a year if that 3,000 is only 3,100? Does that mean you did worse? Maybe you did better because you're better at producing contextual content. So I, I, it's an important moment in this conversation. Thank you. And I just, I, I promise this is the last thing, and it's a question for Scott. And I know you say Please. you build uh, products for um, uh, creatives. And I just have to ask um, because I've been putting out all this content and I love putting out the content. I just, I don't know outside of the content and monetization sometime in the future a product that a nurse 
you know, like a, I, I do nursing news and I interview other everyday heroes that are like nurses and doctors and people like that. I don't know what a product I can use, you know, base my creative on. And if you have any ideas, that would be absolutely fantastic. I mean, listen, I'll give you a quick kind of somewhat self-serving answer, but also something I believe in. Um, there's a product called Spark. Um, that, uh, that, that one of my teams put out, which is like a, it's like a social, um, it's, it's for social media publishing. It just, it helps you put like videos with like the imagery together. It makes things basically look better with less time and less talent behind them, uh, frankly. Um, and just like, you know, putting out, but I, the point is, is you do want to experiment with the types of media media that you're creating, obviously. And, um, and yeah, I encourage you to add, add the, add the visual elements, you know, add the, add the sound elements and whatever else. I think that uh, uh, we all have to kind of have our own little creative team, even if it's within us, um, in order to put this stuff out there and have it resonate. But I gotta say, like, as you guys were talking, I was recalling the fact that um, my first ever blog was called Musings of a Novice Business Mind. And it had to be anonymous because I was working at Goldman at the time and we weren't allowed to share anything on, online. Um, but it was, you know, it, I, I don't even remember what I was writing, but it did create like emotion, like emotion of kind of, taking something, putting it down, thinking about it, uh, you know, and, and I, I just, for anyone who's listening who is like, oh, you know, I don't know if I have any content ready to share yet. I, I do think while it has to be true and, and just sharing, you know, whether it's packing boxes and managing a big day of orders that exceeded your capacity or your, your, your expectations or whatever else, there's something about that like motion of writing down that dude, I think dude, develops you. People don't understand. People, people don't understand that we have the advantage from day one of being a human and having our individual reality. Yeah. And everybody spends all their time trying to take this unique flavor and turn it into vanilla. Mm -hmm. Every, I'm watching everybody try to conform into what they think works without realizing their nuances is what works. Scott, I had people reach out to me in our kind of circles and tell me that what I'm doing with the garage sale thing is a bad idea. Mm -hmm. In a loving way. Hmm. They're like, Gary, you're like, hey. it's so funny when, <laughs> Being underestimated is a lot of fun. Having smart friends, you know, I think there's something unbelievably still respected about universities and schools and me going to Mount Ida versus Princeton. There's an underlining tone amongst my contemporaries that there's still certain things I don't get because we grew up in a time where that had so much value hmm. on intellect. Yet the game's being played out in such an emotional gray way, not yeah. that. So I have friends, so first of all, two things I love. People reach out to me like, Gary, you don't even know how much you're impacting the world. And I'm like, I think I'm impacting the world more than anybody thinks. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> Number two, exactly, thank you. Number two, bunch of homies reached out and were like, yo, don't do this. Like, that's what you used to do. Like, people, you've got a big audience now. Like, there's, you know, presidents and there's like real people. And they're like, and if you do this, it's gonna make, and I was like, you are so lost in the reality of how life works. I think it's wild that, you know, that uh, the, the, the more your intuition works for you, the more people start to question the volume of your Correct. own intuition. And Correct. it's just, it's wild. I'm sure you had a lot of feedback on the decisions you made when you left, right? And listen, so for yeah. me, they're like, and listen, I have more empathy that, you know, if you're playing in that kind of cloud, that why is Gary buying stuffed animals and posting it? And like, could this hurt him? It's coming from a loving place, but where, where I'm going with this is the following. 
because I'm a Jets loving, garage sale loving, root beer loving, you know, wine loving, entrepreneur, da, 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 these are the strengths, not the weaknesses. And so where I'm going with is if you're a young nurse and you're trying to, you know, when you talk about a product like Spark, not everybody has a team producing their content. Right. So you're gonna need to do different things, written word, audio, video, yep. but it all goes to one place. When you have inner confidence, like true self-esteem, yep. you will produce unlimited amounts of content hmm. in all forms because you are no longer crippled by the instant feedback loop of likes and comments. By the way, totally agree with that. I always feel like creative block is the consequence of avoiding the truth. Period. And when you pierce the truth, Period. it flows. Period. Yeah. Let me give you an example, real life. We are currently sitting here, last night, 11 p.m., I posted a video that was a minute and 23 seconds long, not made for Instagram, and I posted on Instagram because I watched it and was okay with where it ended at one minute knowing I was giving up the punch that the 23 seconds had to like really kill it, which is why it will do better on Twitter. I posted it at not a great time on Instagram, but I wanted to learn what it would do when I put a piece of content that wasn't as native as it could have been Mm -hmm. at not an optimal time. Hmm. It did not well, Mm -hmm. which reinforced my thesis of native content Hmm. and understanding it might have done phenomenal like other times in the past, <laughs> which reinforces right. break your own rules, ba ba ba. Here's the thing, if you don't have the confidence to go there, for example, if I didn't have the confidence to be okay with the fact that my YouTube channel is not being optimized at all over the last 15 months, hence why it's stale, and if I, my identity was wrapped up into how many subscribers or likes or comments, well then that's not what I would do. At the same token, by not being crippled by that, it allowed me to follow the momentum to create a top 100 podcast. Mm -hmm. People are just confused. They look at things in the micro and they don't macro it up. And so when I hear a tool, when I hear his question, what's the tool that's gonna help me, where it really goes is first get into a place of realizing that if you're comfortable with everything, Well, then you can do, and when mm-hmm. you do, you will learn. Mm-hmm. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you, you, you so much. Thanks you got it. I really appreciate it. Scott, far, parting shots. Anything you want to say about the book? I re- listen. I I don't know where it's on. Where's it ranked on Amazon right now? Are we live on <laughs> Facebook? How many people are watching right now? Can you tell? I'm looking at this right now. I'm gonna have a little fun for myself. While you're looking that up, Scott, parting thoughts on the book while I'm looking at this. Listen, parting thoughts on the book. Um, I think this, one of the things I tried to not shy away from Mm -hmm. was conflicting advice that I got from different people that I interviewed for this book. It was wild how I would go to different people who had started different things in different industries, ask them about their middles and things that they learned and best practices and blah, 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 blah. And I would find things that were the opposite of each other. And the question was, do I pick one side and because I want to be consistent or do I allow the reader to kind of manage the conflict Love it. and mine it for their own intuition? Love it. Obviously, I aspired for the latter, Smart. and uh, and you know, and that's the framework of the book. And in fact, I put up the opposing perspectives right next to each other because I actually believe that that's how people become great adventurers in the middle, right? Is they sort of are able to reconcile conflicting advice. They're able to reconcile, you know, some because that's the reality of the game. That is, that's that the is. Game. And by the way, if someone tells you there's a best practice, it's BS because anything that works at one stage of the play is the exact opposite of what you want to do somewhere else. I always talk about being in love the fact that I'm a contradiction. It's my strength. 
It I is, can hold right. different things and decide in the context of the moment yeah. which one of my swords I want. So anyone can have advice, you know, and, and that's the thing. So it's a, not a traditional business book. And I have to tell you, when I sent the manuscript into my publisher, I'm going to throw like, them under the bus right now, but they came back to me like, um, you know, the format of this, it's like insights. Mm -hmm. We want a consistent one mm -hmm. traditional narrative and blah, blah, blah. I was like, you know, this yeah. is not the modern way that people that way, want to learn. You, you can say it. I was a little so nicer you get a little than more that. Private schooly kind of like. I'm so proud. Of, a, I'm so proud of this book. Like, I'm, I, I'm excited buddy. to get it out there. I'm excited for people to agree and disagree, and uh, and and just you know, hope it helps. Hope it helps people. Thirty-seven oh four. That is the current rank. I expect the Vayner Nation to all <laughs> go buy three to seven to eleven copies and give it to everybody, so that goes up. Number two, he's Scott Belsky, B L B E L S K Y, uh, uh, on Twitter, like at Scott Belsky. Every person, because I know this is going to go out in a week, and da, 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 da. every human that buys this book because of this podcast, I want you to tweet at Scott Belsky and tell him <laughs> oh, that the Ask Gary Vee show is the measure of the power of Gary Vee. 100%. Unbelievable. I want, you to, I want this to continue Thank to pound you, your feed. Thanks for being on the show. Excited. Question of the day. Yeah. Every guest I have gets to ask the question of the day, which is a lot of fun because on YouTube and Facebook and on Twitter and other places, you get thousands of answers, which can give us some insights. What thing, and by the way, it doesn't even have to be about the book. What burning question, what, what would you love to get thousands of people's of insights on right now out of more curiosity? It could be as silly as like favorite color or favorite TV show. It could be very specific to the book or something else randomly that's scratching your brain right now. Yeah, I mean, gosh. Um, I mean, one of the questions I have lately is, is around these, these you know, these micro brands that are emerging and we all like love these new brands that seem to be merchandised just to us. Yes. You know, via Instagram yes. and other places. Yes. And I, I am wondering a lot these days around whether we love a brand simply because it sort of resonates with us and it looks cool and whatever. Yep. It's a sock company we yep. never heard of and yep. we like the design. Yep. Or if it's because of the community associated with the brand. In which case, that would argue against the sort of long tail future brand sort of narrative that there will be a brand for every single person and actually eventually there'll be a brand made for you and it'll be marketed directly to you and you'll just engage with it and you don't care who else is actually using it. So that's, I guess I have to- That's not what humans do. I, don't, I mean, I don't- I'm I don't, gonna save yeah, time. Yeah. That is, like, this is where people aren't smart about history. It's not what humans do. We are deeply, inherently in need of each other. I think it's community driven as well. hundred percent. But then, you know, I, I guess the question then is. The difference is distribution and awareness has changed. Yes. So there'll be options. So it will be amortized, but not to, like, this is all community. Scott, do you understand that when I walk on the street and see a human being wearing a Jets jersey, that I am instantly family with that person? Mm-hmm. The same way that somebody will walk and see a Star David or a cross yep. and feel instant family. It means something. Or a pair of Yeezys or a long beard or a, or t or a, 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 you know, a sleeve of tattoos. We are deeply, deeply in need of each other. Yeah. Well, then I guess that's the, the question then because we're seeing more and more random brands that are clever and coolly designed because and whatever Because the cost else. of entry is zero. Right. And so that's what you're seeing. Oh, where is that going to play out? Does well, that mean there's going to be a million ways. more brands or that means sure. that we're going to micro communities both yeah you'll have more hundred what we haven't reconciled yet is the, we need a collapse yep we need a macro economic collapse mm. to reset mm. what will happen out of that reset i think is you're going to see certain people like the ambition to build a brand that makes you eighty-eight thousand dollars a year and you mm -hmm. can be at home is going to get high mm -hmm. right now everybody thinks they're going to build the next supreme mm -hmm. or instagram mm -hmm. that needs to die because they're not going to 
Yeah, at this point. When we change that, when young Alex, 14-year-old Alex says, I'm gonna build a honey company because my grandma had honeybees and I kind of like it. It's kind of, I don't want to say that in school yet because I'm 14 and honeybees for a dude is not cool. But when he gets to, one day I'm gonna start a honey company and I'm gonna make 113,000 a year after profits and everything and I'm gonna make honey and I'm gonna have fun and that's gonna make me happy. That's when this is gonna get good. Right now, Scott, the entry to the 1% income makers in America is 440,000. Everybody in America thinks if you don't make a million a year, you haven't even started making it. Right. That's a problem. Yep. Like this, that's called a delta, that is a problem. Yeah. When we get into making 113 happy is a lot better than making 209 depressed. Yep. Those people will start taking advantage of the long tail. Yep. They'll start being the person that knits and makes 113 on Etsy. Yep. They're the person that's gonna love Star Trek and literally live life day trading on eBay and Amazon, buying Star Trek on eBay for nine, yeah. selling it for 14 on Amazon. So those will emerge. Yep. As will Lola yep. and Harry's, yep. as will. The person that should be most worried about this is Procter and Kraft and yep. Pepsi because all of their infrastructure, that's who it's going to come out oh, that's of. That's true. And they're also churning it out without stories. And I think that, I mean, not you know, coming they're, kind of full circle and back the, to the messy Scott, middle. Scott, they're I mean. also <laughs> at the mercy of Walmart and Albertsons. Yes. What people don't understand is they're not stupid. Yeah. They're stuck. Yes. They're not stupid. They're stuck. Adobe. Agreed. Adobe has certain things because of its scale that doesn't allow it to play with somebody who's in a garage right now and does something. It has advantages. The reason you're important, in my opinion, from afar to Adobe <laughs> is because you understand that world, thus knowing the hypocrisy internally of certain things. Yeah, totally. And if you have control, and I have no idea if you do or not, then you have the chance to actually, big companies should never lose to small companies. Yeah. And they always do because they have audacity. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that you start to, uh, I mean, the business of, the, the, the science of business is scaling. I mean, the art of business is the things that don't scale. And the, the question end. is, the how can you keep making that happen? Hey, I man, love you, buddy. Thank you so much. Yes. You keep asking questions, we'll keep answering them. Hey, guys, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Uh, I really, really, really hope you loved it. Uh, as you guys know, I try to bring it every single day. Uh, so whether you're walking a dog, uh, running on a treadmill, or traveling on a plane, I hope it brought a little value or escapism for you. And I'm here to talk to you about the thing that I'm most excited about, which is the Gary V Wine Club for $55 a month delivered. No shipping charge. $55 delivered. You either get one, two, three, or four bottles of wine For some of you that don't know, that is the industry I grew up in. I was once known as a wine expert. And what I've been doing is getting back in the game, tasting hundreds of wines each month to narrow it down between one and four bottles so that I can send it to you and send you over $100, $150, $200 worth of value each month. If you go to the hashtag Gary V Wine Club on Instagram, you can see the insanity brewing. I'm really excited about it. And to be very frank, I'm just so proud of the club like the first you know somebody just emailed me this morning actually there was a shot enough to pop that's how we roll a shot enough to pop in the first october month the first month we did it that the guy just literally saw in a liquor store for 67 dollars just for that bottle and it was one of the three bottles so super excited about it buy one for your dad your best friend your boss i will not let you down and most of all each month There is a video and audio supplement of me tasting the wines that you can taste along, build your palate, or entertain one of your buddies. The greatest 
gift for the holiday season in the history of mankind, the Gary Vee Wine of the Month Club, $55 delivered. Go sign up now to winelibrary.com slash Gary Vee. Gary V-E-E.